Well, good morning. Good morning. Hmm. Uh, my name's Ian. I'm uh, one of the members of our preaching team here, and it's a privilege to get to, to come and be part of bringing God's Word. And um, we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth this morning. So if you want to grab, if you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to grab one from the pew pocket in front of you, and you can look at Ruth on page 222 in that particular Bible. So, uh, but you know, it is Communion Sunday, so um, Scott encouraged me to keep my message a little shorter than normal, and, uh, and so we won't be reading it a whole lot, uh, but we'll summarize and, and look at some of the highlights there. Uh, but just to get our, our minds pointed in the right direction, you know, and that first song, that, that song that we sang, um, as we were singing that, I thought, you know, there have been so many times in my life when, when I could not have authentically sung those words to God. Your love never fails. You stay the same through the ages. You know, you make all things work together for my good. Like, those are great little bumper sticker things, and, you know, they make good memes and all that, you know. But... Um, I don't know, if your life has been anything like mine, uh, you might struggle with that. I mean, I, I had several stepdads growing up. They were very unkind to me at, at times. Um, my mom was deeply impoverished at times, you know, feeding us from dumpsters when she had no other option. Um, various types of abuse that I experienced growing up. So how can I, in good conscience, say, yeah, God, you've been awesome to me? <laughs> right? I didn't always feel that. We're going to be looking at, it just got serious here, didn't it? <laughs> like, I didn't mean for that to happen. But we're going to be looking at a story this morning where um, the, the woman, Naomi, you may know her as Ruth's mother-in-law, um, she experiences something very similar to that. And... Um, and I believe that through the course of these four chapters in the book of Ruth, that we will see her come to a point where she can believe in her heart that God's intentions for her are good. And so hopefully God will bring us through that same journey in, in these few short moments that we have. So a little bit of context, the book of Ruth, um, the, the setting takes place in the land of Israel during the time period of the judges. So Moses had led people up to the cusp of the promised land, um, we see that in Exodus, and then in Deuteronomy, he, he tells them the law again, because they're, they're the new generation that didn't hear the law the first time. And then in the book of Joshua, we see Joshua leading the nation of Israel into the promised land and, and having uh, incomplete conquest of the land where they, they start to inhabit the land. And, uh, and then um, Joshua dies, and then there's a period of the judges, and, and about 400 years-ish, and uh, this is before there's a king. So there was, you know, Moses and Joshua, they were leaders. And then, uh, you know, later on, we, we have Saul and David and Solomon as the, the kings of Israel. But in that in-between in period, it's a period of judges, you know, like Samson and, you know, Gideon and those guys. They were helping rule the nation during that time. So the story that we're going to read is the, it, it takes place during that period of the judges. And um, in the very end of the book of Ruth, we see that, that the story is told where it is so that we can see um, the, where we get David from. So this, you know, that's the big picture. King David um, originates from this story in, in many ways. So um, I just want to point out that if I had a thesis for this sermon, it would be that, uh, and I think if I can do, 
All right, yeah. As our kinsman redeemer, uh, Jesus moves us from emptiness, insecurity, and despair to fullness, security, and hope. Okay, so I don't know what side of those your heart lives in more than the other, but like I said, for a long time, um, my heart was living in the emptiness, the insecurity, the despair. Just I felt like life had happened to me, you know, and I wasn't really thriving. But um, through experiencing the love that Jesus has for me, he's brought me into having security, hope, and fullness in him. So a proper response to that would be to have a desperate devotion for him, that we, we live that out by loving him more than anything else. So that's, um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, so in chapter one of the book of Ruth, we are introduced to this woman named Naomi, and um, she uh, her husband moves their family into a neighboring uh, um, area called Moab, and, uh, and then her husband dies. And uh, she's got three sons, and they have married three uh, Moabite women, and her three sons die. So now she's all alone in this foreign land with daughters-in-law, Okay. And she says to them, hey, I'm, I'm old, and I don't have any more kids, and even if I got married again and had more kids, it'd be a long time before they grew up and you could marry them. So, you know, daughters-in-law, thanks for chilling, but I'm not really working out for you, so, you know, go home, go back to your family, right? And, um, and two of them do. And, uh, and, and um, Ruth utters the famous words that she's known for in chapter 1, verse 16, so um, in, in, in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 16, she says, it says, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. So Ruth exhibits this devotion to Naomi. And... Um, and Ruth really has this really humble um, loyalty towards Naomi. And we, we're not really told why. You know, it, it maybe implies that Ruth is just a really good person, or maybe Naomi is very deserving of that, or both. But um, something that, that we see happening is that uh, in chapter 1, Naomi lets her difficult circumstances shape her view of God's heart towards her. I mean, that happens to a lot of us. That happens to me oftentimes. You know, when, when life gets ugly, that might start affecting the way that I think that God thinks about me. And we see this in verse 13. She says uh, to, to her daughters-in-law, uh, Would you therefore wait until my kids were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me um, for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too down on Naomi here because she moved to a foreign land. Her husband died. Her sons died. She's all alone. So, have you ever felt like the hand of the Lord has gone out against you? We see again, uh, just a few verses later, she says, uh, well, so then she returns um, to Israel with, uh, with Ruth and, um, 
And as, as she's returning, uh, it, it says in, in verse 19, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? No, she's been gone like a decade or more, you know. Is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. That name, by the way, means pleasant, right? You know, in, in the Old Testament, names have meanings, right? So her name means pleasant. So she's like, yeah, no, I'm not Naomi. Maybe I used to be, right? But, but life has gotten really bad. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why would you call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So she has definitely let her negative circumstances have have a big impact on her. So think of your negative circumstances. Have you ever felt like God would say, my hand is against you? Have you ever felt like changing your name from pleasant to bitter? Have you ever felt like blaming God for that? So she returns to to Bethlehem. She's got this negative view of God's view of her. And then in chapter 2, we learn that there's this guy named Boaz. Now, Boaz, and, and if we took the time to read the entire chapter, we would see that he was, he's a really good guy. I mean, he, he um, good character, godly man, um, yet at this point, he was ruthless. <laughs> Hashtag dad joke. I had to do it. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So some of you might not have gotten that. You you just think on it. Yeah. So, (laughs) so but but really, he is a good guy here. And um, and what happens is uh, Naomi. You know, so they're they're going out and they're gleaning. Right now, I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of gleaning. Uh, we actually did this when I was a kid, and I didn't—I I didn't know what we were doing. Uh, my mom, she's my mom is so cool. She she told us, "Hey, there are some um, there there are some farmers that have too many strawberries, and and they're all going to go bad. So we're going to go help them pick some, and they're going to let us take some home." I was like, "Cool, okay." Well, I didn't know that that was because we were poor and didn't have any food, and so there was there were these things in place for poor people that didn't have food, called gleaning, right? In, in, the, in the Old Testament, there were laws put into place that would say, you know, when you're harvesting your, your grain or your field or your whatever, um, like, don't pick up whatever you drop. And don't harvest out into the corner of every little part of your property. Leave the corners, leave what you drop for those people who need it. They don't have anything and they need it. And so, so those people were called gleaners. And, uh, and so Ruth and Naomi, they're, they're out there gleaning. And, uh, and Ruth, she goes to this, this field, and you know, they, would, they would go behind the, 
the, the farmhands. You know, the farmhands are out there cutting down the, the harvest and bringing it in, and then the gleaners would go behind and pick up what would fall. And, uh, and so Ruth is out there doing that, and, uh, and, you know, they all break for dinner or whatever, and, she, um, and she's sitting there, and, and someone, Boaz, says, hey, who, who's that? And someone says, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's Ruth. She's uh, Naomi's daughter. Apparently, everybody had been talking. You know, Bethlehem, that's a small town, you know. It'd be like someone coming back to Yakult 10 years later. People like, oh, hey, yeah, we remember you. So, so there's, there's Ruth, you know, she's gleaning, and she catches Boaz's eye. So then um, Boaz says, hey, you know, have some dinner. And she, could, she eats dinner. They sit at the table, they break bread, you know, dipping it in the vinegar and the whole deal. And she's like, she's poor, impoverished, you know, like this far from being homeless and begging. And then she gets like the full on like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> Get it? Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> okay, I'm done, I think. <laughs> so, but she like, she's living, living well right now. You're like, wow, this is a good meal. And, uh, and, then, and then Boaz goes to, her, um, to his, his farmhands and he says, hey, um, let her, you know, work with you guys. And I want you to drop a lot of grain on purpose. You know, just like just when you're harvesting, just like throw some, you know, let her have it, you know. And, and so she, and, and he tells her, I don't want you to worry about gleaning anywhere else. You know, you just stick with my fields, stick with my guys, we'll take care of you. And, uh, and so, um, so she's doing, and she comes home with this big old bucket of food, right? And, uh, and Naomi's, you know, it's after a long day of gleaning, and Ruth and Naomi are like talking about their day or whatever, and, and, uh, and so Naomi says, well, so how'd it go? And Ruth is like, check out all this food. And there was this guy, you know, uh, Boaz. And, and then uh, Naomi says, oh, Boaz. Oh, you know, he's related to us. So um, I should mention, um, I wanted to read this earlier, but I got distracted with all my silly dad jokes. So, um, <laughs> uh, but here in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 8 through 13, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field um, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let all of your eyes be on the field, let your eyes be on the field uh, that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men uh, not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? See, she's not even Jewish. Like, he's Jewish. She's not. She's a Moabite person. Like, the Moabites and the Jews didn't necessarily always get along, you know? And she's like, whoa, you're treating me like I'm somebody special, but I'm not. So she says, what's up with that? And Boaz answered her, um, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your, of your husband has been fully told to me. Okay, so love your mother-in-law. Okay. Um, uh, has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land to come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. 
Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So Boaz elevates her because of her loyal devotion to Naomi. You know, he recognizes that she, she is um, a godly woman who's fallen on hard times, and he's loving on her. So then in chapter 3, we see um, where Ruth presents Boaz with the opportunity to become a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer. This, this is an idea of, um, well, to, to redeem something is to buy it back, right? Like I, I think of uh, in a pawn shop, you know, like I've got this really cool eight-track player, you know, and uh, I listen to my Merle Haggard eight-track on it, and but I really need some cash. So, so I go down to the pawn shop and I say, hey, you know, how much do you give me you know, for this? And, and they say, well, it is pretty sweet and Merle Haggard is pretty awesome, so we'll give you $2. <laughs> so, so then, uh, and I take that $2 and I'm super happy because I can almost get a Starbucks Pike's Roast. And then um, uh, um, I finally save up two bucks and I want to go buy my, uh, my eight-track player back, right? I'm going to redeem it. So they loan me money. It's, tech, it's legally, it's theirs because it's the collateral. You know, I go down with some money, I redeem it back from them, and then it's mine again. So a kinsman redeemer um, in the Old Testament, if someone who um, in, is in this situation where, uh, like, let's say my, my brother um, passes away and uh, doesn't have any kids of his own, and, uh, but he's married. So then in the Old Testament, I would be uh, legally obligated to, um, to take his wife on as my own, even if I'm already married, which is weird, I know. Um, ask God about that if you have any questions. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, and then, and then um, any, any or at least the first male child from that, uh, me marrying my brother's wife, would be to continue his family line. So I would be redeeming his family line in that way. And, and maybe my brother doesn't have a brother, so then he wouldn't be my brother. Uh, but maybe, maybe he has a cousin, a, a male cousin. So it's the closest male family you know, relation would be the one to redeem him, uh, his family. And also any property that he has, right? So you know, maybe he's got this, uh, this really nice yacht, you know, and... Uh, and I'm like, hey, yeah, I'd be happy to be the kinsman redeemer, you know. Or maybe he has a whole lot of debt. Okay, well, he's he's my brother, so we got. So that was the way it worked in the Old Testament, and God put this in place because he um, he values women. Okay, a lot of people might say, well, this is you know misogynistic or patriarchal or toxic masculinity or whatever, but you know back then. Um, women did not have the same um, economic opportunities that they do today, and so this was God's way of ensuring that they would be cared for. You know, women should not be left destitute. Naomi and Ruth, they were destitute. And so this legal system that God put in place was to help them be able to be cared for. And so um, uh, Naomi tells Ruth, yeah, you know, that Boaz guy, uh, I mean, by the way, Boaz was rich. So, like, imagine, you know, like, yeah, life stinks, and then all of a sudden you realize you have this rich uncle who just, like, wants to make it his sole purpose to spoil you rotten. It's like, wow. <laughs> okay, things aren't so bad after all, right? And so, um, 
So yeah, Naomi tells Ruth, yeah, he's, he's your relative. So he, he's a kinsman redeemer. So she, she presents the opportunity to Boaz to be that redeemer. And in uh, chapter, nine, chapter 3, verse 9, we see uh, how he responds to that. So chapter 3, verse 9, she says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wing over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Uh, you have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all of my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. It is true that I am a redeemer. Uh, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. You know, like maybe he's a second cousin and there's a first cousin. So he's first in line, you know. And, uh, and so he says, remain tonight and in the morning, if he, the nearer redeemer, uh, will redeem you, then good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So, um, so that's what happens. And then just to cut straight to the chase, uh, in chapter four, we read that uh, the other uh, nearer relative didn't want to take the opportunity uh, for a variety of possible reasons. And so Boaz gets to marry Ruth and they live happily ever after. You know, she went from destitute <coughs> Uh, and widowed to like marrying the richest guy in town, you know, it's pretty sweet. It's like crazy rich Asian type stuff. So, the the movie, the movie. Okay, just making sure you guys. There's a movie illusion. Okay. So um, a, a few reasons that I see that Jesus is a greater. Boaz, right? That's this, this series that we're doing here in the, in the alternate preaching series is, you know, um, Jesus is greater. And we're, we're going through and looking at all these Old Testament prototypes or pre-types of Christ. And so we see in Boaz, we see a foreshadowing of Jesus. And Jesus is the better Boaz. So here are a few reasons. Uh, Jesus redeems, he offers redemption to all of us. Boaz, you know, he can't redeem all of mankind, he can't. He redeemed, you know, Ruth, and that was, that was good. But in his redemption of Ruth, uh, we see Jesus' redemption of us. And so the redemption that Jesus offers is for all of us. The second way that we see um, that Jesus is better is that he offers complete redemption, like, not just a material one. I mean, uh, Boaz could not save Ruth's soul. He could provide for her. He could give her, you know, food, clothing, shelter, love, security, acceptance, whatever. But she can't, you know, she can't get to heaven through Boaz. And um, in Jesus, I find complete redemption. I need to not look for ultimate things in temporal realm. Right? How often do people look for what they need ultimately from someone who is not designed to meet that need? Right? The, the, uh, the security that I need eternally is found in Jesus. It's not found in my parents. It's not found in my job. It's not found in my spouse or my family. Um, the security that I need is found in Jesus. 
He offers complete redemption. And thirdly, he offers permanent redemption, not just in this life. So Boaz, good guy, and, uh, and, and, but a prototype, a, a precursor of Christ. And we see that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of those things, that he offers um, redemption to all of us. He offers complete redemption, and he offers permanent redemption. So then, um, how should we respond to that? Well, um, got a, a few ideas here for you, and uh, one would be that we need to accept it. Right? So Jesus is offering that redemption, but have I chosen to receive it? Imagine if, if you know, Ruth said, hey, you know, Boaz, I really appreciate that you want to, you know, take care of me and give us food and security and wholeness and all that, but I'm good. I'll just keep gleaning. <laughs> you know, we, if that was the way the story ended, we'd be like, what? Like, no, that's crazy making. Don't do that. So she, she accepts it, you know, and I need to accept the redemption that Jesus offers me. And and not just uh, the, the salvation, you know, like the, I, I, I realize that uh, I have sinned, you know, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I need a redeemer because I have a sin debt that I owe God that is impossible for me to repay. So I come to God and I say, would you, you know, through the work of your, of your son, and we're going to see it, you know, demonstrated here uh, in this physical representation that we call communion, you know, Jesus died so that my sin could be forgiven, so that I could enjoy eternity with him and, and have that redemption that he's offering me. I need to receive that. But really, it shouldn't be that one time back when I was, you know, 13 years old at the county fair when someone told me the gospel and I accepted Christ, and then I go on with life like normal. Right? So receiving it doesn't just mean, okay, yep, I've checked the box, I've I've got my my get-out-of-hell-free card, my fire insurance, I'm good. Now I can go on with life like normal. Now, re- receiving it means like I'm, I am becoming part of his family. I, I'm, I'm going to be about him now. And like, like Ruth became part of Boaz's family. And, and sure, he's redeeming her and all that, you know, and, and so he's taking her on into himself as well. But, um, but it's not just, you know, getting all the perks without changing my identity, you know, going from uh, not in Christ to being in Christ. It, it's, it's a radical change. And it's, I don't make the change to earn the salvation. I make the change because of the salvation, because of the redemption. And that's why I should passionately pursue Jesus as my foremost desire. I mean, and for, for guys, this might get a little weird, and I don't want to make it too weird, maybe just a little. But, um, like... Ruth loves Boaz, we assume, right? It's a love story, you know? Like she, um, she experienced a lot of tragedy and Boaz is her knight in shining armor and he comes and he represents Jesus in that way, you know? Um, w- without Christ, uh, our lives are pretty horrible. I mean, we're destined for hell. We're broken, we're empty. We're without purpose, we're without wholeness. Jesus comes in and offers that redemption, and then we can be crazy about him. It should be a love story. That's where it gets weird for you guys. Ladies, are, it's maybe easier for ladies to be like, yeah, it is a love story with Jesus. 
You know, he is my Boaz in that sense. But, you know, men, he's redeemed us too, Jesus has. And, and we should be crazy in love with him too. And uh, um, I don't think that's too weird. I think it's cool to be crazy in love with Jesus. Because of what he's done for me, I want to passionately pursue him like he is my biggest desire. So, um, on the back of your bulletin insert, there is a list of uh, 10 ways that Jesus' redemption moves us from emptiness, insecurity, and despair to fullness, security, and hope. And in the interest of full disclosure, you can see the website that I found that at the bottom of that page there. I didn't make those up. So if you don't like them, don't blame me. If you do like them, then yes, I am the one that found them. So <laughs> what I'd like you to do is, is take a moment and, and look at that list. The redemption that Jesus offers was far more costly than the redemption that Boaz offered. And it was far greater. So it makes sense that it would be far more costly. When I think of the, the difficulty that I've experienced in life, um, I, I am so thankful that I can truly say and sing that he does make all things work together for my good. And that's not just a little meme or a little bumper sticker. It's a reality that, that I can experience and that I can live in daily because of those hard times. And so consider the cost of his redemption. Consider the, the mess of your life that Jesus wades into and wants to walk you out of or walk through it with you. Jesus, being God, became man while retaining his full deity so that he could redeem us. And, and that um, act, that selfless act of giving himself shows me that I'm valuable to him. And it shows me that he really does care about my circumstances and that he wants to walk me through that. So like I mentioned, in a moment, we're going to take communion and receive communion. And uh, Scott will walk you through that. But I just want you to be mindful of um, the price that Jesus paid to redeem you. You're way more valuable than an eight-track player with a Merle Haggard cassette or whatever. He gave everything to redeem you. So receive it and choose to passionately pursue a love relationship with him in response to that. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we do thank you. Thank you for being that kinsman redeemer that you uh, you had every right 
to redeem us because, um, because you became one of us. Thank you that you um, see the value in us that is worth pursuing because we have your mark, your image on us. And God, I pray that you would enable us to passionately chase after you and, and uh, enjoy that deep love relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.